Today on the Dad the Best I Can show. The reason I can be resilient and that others are is that we've learned that the struggle isn't the problem. The struggle is uh, how we become stronger. We lift weights to, to grow muscle and we run to grow, you know, to, to build a circulatory system and, and, and respiratory and, and just get faster. But it takes miles, it takes weight. And our hardships uh, make our head, our mind, and our heart stronger. Welcome to the Dad the Best I Can show. My name is Rob Roseman, who wants to be a millionaire legend, Chicago futures trader, Vegas poker pro. Now I'm a dad to three kids, ages seven, five, and two. Phew, wears me out just thinking about it. Each week we bring on high-performing dads like you, entrepreneurs like Jesse Itzler, CEOs like David Cancel from Drift.com, athletes like Ken Rideout, best-selling children's authors like Zach Bush, to tell us your stories, your dad tips and tricks, to help all of us make it through dad life. We have a brand new website over at dadthebestican.com. Go on over to dadthebestican.com and sign up with your email. It's 100% free, of course. Be the first to hear brand new dad guests and get weekly dad tips in your inbox. How else are you going to keep up with the roller coaster that is dad life? We are running a really fun dad challenge every single week. We talk dad life and learn from dads much wiser than us. We're using an awesome free iPhone app called Spar. You know how hard it is to make a new habit stick, like running, reading, writing, even flossing. With the Spar app, you can win or lose real money with a group of friends to hold you accountable. It's a lot of fun, and it seriously works. Find out more about the challenge at dadthebestican.com. There is a new challenge you can join right now. Okay, enough out of me. On to today's show. All right. Welcome to the Dad the Best I Can show. I feel honored to have today's guest on the show. His story is truly hard to believe. It's like something out of a movie. It's heartbreaking, but most of all, it's inspiring. And when you hear Aaron tell it, you'll see why. Aaron is a veteran. He and his wife created EOD Fudge at EODFudge.com. That stands for Extraordinary Delights, and you'll learn why he called it EOD in a few minutes when he tells this incredible story. And of course, he is a dad. Hey, Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Rob. All right. Where are you calling in from? Well, I'm calling in from Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. That's uh, in the panhandle just between uh, uh, Destin and Panama City. Excellent. So before we get to your story, which I'm excited for you to share, this is a dad podcast. How old are your kids? Uh, kids are, we've got uh, three boys, one's eight, just about going on uh, nine, and we've got uh, identical twin infants, four months old, boys. Also. Four months old. Uh, I cannot imagine what it's like having twins. I see people struggling with one. What is it like uh, having four-month-old twins? My wife complains that uh, she has a hard time telling them apart. I'm the blind one. <laughs> yeah, that's great. What? Uh, oh, and I was looking. Your oldest son is my oldest son is Cameron. Is that your son's name too? Yeah, 
oh, it's funny, small world. I saw that and I was like, oh, we have, we have a lot of a uh, lot in common. But yes, identical twins. Um, you'll talk about uh, what that's like a little bit later. But you know, you've got an excellent video on your website that tells your story. But for those of us that haven't heard it, would you would you share kind of your background and how you ended up where you are today, Aaron? Absolutely. Uh, I joined the Navy in '99, uh, and I at the time I'd uh, I'd been uh, I went to college, but I didn't really have any direction. Didn't have a whole lot of ambition. I was loving life, but really, you know, it was kind of a drift. Didn't know what I was going to do next, and uh, wasted a ton of my tuition just trying to find uh, my picture of college, which was Animal House. <laughs> uh, and I gained a ton of weight and, and really didn't do much in the three semesters I was there. So it was kind of a mutual thing. The uh, university invited me to leave. <laughs> uh, I agreed. I did. Uh, I figured, you know, I love I love cooking. Uh, I always had. I've been cooking since I'd reach uh, could reach over the counter, and um, I decided I was going to train uh, to be a chef. But of course, like I said, the tuition money was depleted, and, and I tried to figure out a way how uh, how to how to raise you know some more money to to get to school, and the military was the answer. So. I joined the Navy, and uh, in the meantime, I mean, the plan was four years, get the GI Bill and get out. And in the meantime, I would become a Navy cook. And I didn't have any misconceptions about what I'd be doing. You know, the ship's galley, uh, long, hot hours uh, cooking for the ship's company. But uh, it would be training. And it would be good uh, training for what I was come to, you know, down the road. So, uh, I you know I went to basic training, and then I went to the Navy's A school, their technical school for cooking, and they sent me to shore duty in Naples, Italy, which was fantastic. But what they don't tell you is that at the time, Navy cooks they look at it like a civilian version of hotel restaurant management. So, on at shore on shore duties, uh, Navy cooks don't cook. They run the barracks, our version of the hotel. So I get off the plane. I ask, where am I going to be cooking? They're, oh, no, 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 no. We've got a position for you in the maintenance department of the barracks. <laughs> so uh, I get I get to Italy, and I'm walking around um, uh, the Navy base with uh, the Italian public works guys, you know, plumbers, electricians, uh, just running trouble call tickets into the rooms and whatnot. So I made the best of it. Uh, I would just all day long. I was while these guys were at work. I would be pointing at things. And go, come with the DJ. Come with the DJ. How do you say this? How do you say that? And I was teaching myself Italian with a bunch of you know, roughnecks. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, I, I would. I was uh, determined to immerse myself in the culture. And when I was off duty, that's exactly what I did. I went on to the. Uh, uh, the economy and I, I just enjoyed being, you know, reveled in being in Italy. Uh, two years later, it was time for me to change duty stations. And I finally did get a cooking position on board the uh, 
flagship for the uh, U.S. Sixth Fleet, which is only about a 45-minute drive away in Gaeta, Italy. And now I was cooking for a three-star admiral. And that was fantastic. I completely bypassed the big you know, uh, ship's galley, and now I was cooking with five other uh, really terrific chefs for the admiral and his uh, top brass. When you know you know flagships, they don't they don't do those long six month cruises around the uh, uh, you know around the world. They only you know we we would leave three or four uh, weeks at a time, hit a couple ports in the Mediterranean, run up the flag, have a reception for some dignitaries, sometimes royalty, and then we'd head right back to Gaia, Italy. So I got to experience the best of the Mediterranean. Uh, my 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 leave time, my vacation time, I would go travel around Europe, like France, Greece, Italy, uh, and, and Germany, uh, and it was fantastic. But when the about two thousand four, when the both wars were in full swing, I figured uh, it was it was come a time where I'd have to reenlist or get out. And I'd found that I'd really loved the service, but I'd also realized that being a cook, though I love cooking and I love being a sailor, I wanted to do something a little more direct. The only thing I could do was volunteer to go to Afghanistan and fill in some army positions. But as a cook, I'd be filling in army positions, you know, army cooking positions. Mm-hmm. So I went from you know running the uh, admiral's mess to cooking for six and 700 uh, in the army chow hall in Farah, Afghanistan. Funny enough though, uh, it was an ISAF, uh, you know, a NATO base. So there were Portuguese, Spanish uh, troops, and even a few platoons of Italian special forces. So I went from Italy speaking Italian to Afghanistan speaking Italian. <laughs> it was fantastic. But, uh, that's when I met some EOD technicians and learned about the military's bomb squad, explosive ordnance disposal. And I realized that this was what I was waiting for. Something uh, I could feel uh, a little more, um, you know, feel that direct action. I would be saving lives. It would be a first responder. And I could, I could feel like I was really doing my best uh, for the the efforts overseas, so I uh, when I I uh, came back from deployment, I put in a request to change from cook to uh, EOD tech. The only problem was the cooks couldn't be EOD techs in the Navy. It was not a specialty. Uh, it wasn't a source rate that you you know you you couldn't the. Navy wouldn't allow me to go over there. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to stay uh, not only in my, my current position, but my current rank, because the next rank up was overmanned. Mm-hmm. So my contract was up. Uh, I let it expire, and I went right over to the Army recruiter, and I uh, uh, signed up as an Army EOD technician. It was about a year-long training, and I was right back out into the desert, this time Iraq. And I was learning how to be an EOD tech uh, along the way. Um, then uh, in 2011, I deployed back to Afghanistan, this time as an EOD team leader. 
And our EOD teams are uh, three-person teams with the senior most being the team leader. And the way that we work, the most, the highest ranking guy is the one that puts on the bomb suit and does the, does a long rock walk. Mm-hmm. That's just, you know, you want the most knowledgeable one to be working on these things. And I'd finally earned my way to becoming a team leader and running my own team. So about eight months into this really busy, high paced, uh, and very dangerous deployment, uh, I was just, I was just back from a two weeks R and R vacation back home. I got to see Cameron, my uh, my son, turn one. Mm-hmm. I got to uh, spend Thanksgiving with the family, which is one of my favorite times of the year. And uh, I just thrown the luggage back into the, the the back of our armored truck. My team picked me up from Kandahar and we were heading uh, back to our uh, area of operation when the convoy commander radioed back and asked if uh, EOD could take care of this device they'd found on the side of the road. Well, uh, yeah, no time like the present. We, they, they set security cord on and I threw the my my bags off the robot and the robot out the, the back of the truck and what it found was a jug of homemade explosives connected to a pressure plate it's pretty standard very common uh, in afghanistan almost everything we ran into was just a pressure plate with a nine volt battery and a and a jug of uh explosives so uh, the robot was able to separate the pressure plate, just two pieces of uh, plywood with some lamp cord as the connections. And it was able to separate it, but it couldn't get that uh, jug of uh, explosives out of the hard packed dirt. And I needed to get some evidence so we could we could catch this guy. So I wanted I wanted all the biometrics. I wanted uh, explosive samples, all that. And if I could do it safely, then I would. So I jumped out of the truck. I had uh, my IED uh, evidence kit in one hand and my uh, metal detector in the other. And I started approaching. And just about the same time my metal detector was trying to tell me something very important, I got the the mule kick from hell. Hmm. A secondary device uh, found me about 20 or 30 meters from the first one. And uh, I got punted into the air, uh, landed on my hands and knees, and um, the lights were out. I, uh, I thought my helmet had got pushed over my face, but first things first, I, I, uh, I did the systems check, you know, functions check, wiggled the fingers and toes and bent knees and elbows, and it seemed that everything was still intact. So I, uh, I went upright on my knees and I went to adjust my helmet just to find that my helmet was gone. Hmm. And that's when I realized, uh, I said to myself, Oh no, this is bad. The army is going to want that helmet back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
it's funny what we think about uh, <laughs> in these situations, but that was the, just the truth. Uh, my team came out and uh, rescued me from the, uh, the danger area. And uh, I was on a medevac chopper within minutes. And within 48 hours, I was in Walter Reed. And I was had to come to grips with my new situation. I was going to be totally blind. The explosion took my eyes, cracked my skull in a, a few places. I was leaking spinal fluid right out of my nose. And it blew out my eardrums and caused, caused uh, uh, burns and scars on my face. Thankfully, though, <laughs> uh, I guess this is a perspective. Uh, thankfully, it just hit me in the head. Uh, be below the neck, I was virtually untouched. Hmm. Uh, I don't know how that happened, but uh, I'm, I'm thankful the damage was limited. But there I was, uh, a blind soldier, blind father. I needed to figure out uh, how I was going to carry on. If I could carry on, how I'd never even thought about, uh, considered uh, what life would be like until in an instant I was there. So... Um, um, of course, those those demons try to creep in, you know, the why me's and the what ifs. But I've got such a great family support. And there's something about the military duty that uh, kind of it just stuck with me. And it was it was less about me. And it was more about my family is about my son. And I needed to be strong for him. So uh, after I recovered from uh, the surgeries and there was really wasn't much Walter Reed could do for me. Once the, you know, they, they healed up and, you know, my face, uh, most of those long stints, uh, our troops t uh, spend in rehabilitation is for learning how to, uh, use new prosthetics. I didn't have that. So mm -hmm. I was ambulatory. I could walk out and within about five weeks, I was out of Walter Reed and I was uh, sent to uh, one of the VA's blind rehabilitation centers where they teach you how to use the, the cane and all those accessible devices, talking phone and computers. And I was uh, on my way to learning how to be a blind person. Um, are you back home now or where, where are you now? With, when, when this is taking place, are you back home in Florida or where? Well, they've got they've got fourteen of them around the country. I was sent to Augusta, Georgia, mm -hmm. and uh, spent about six months there. Uh, the longest uh, class it's 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 basically a school, and and throughout the day you do manual skills, uh, living skills, and of course mobility skills, which is the longest. Learning how to use the cane, and the the literal and figurative finish line for me was my son was staying uh down at the the, the fisher house a few blocks away from the the, the va hospital mm -hmm. if i could make it out of the my room and out of the unit down the stairs out the front door and down the road on my own to get to my son i would graduate from blind school mm-hmm and uh gosh it was it's so hilarious uh the whole learning experience every time i stepped out the uh, the sliding glass doors it was like 
it seemed it sounded like jailbreak to me. There were people, you know, uh, smoking and joking out uh, out front. There's a water fountain. Birds are chirping. People are getting dropped off and picked up uh, at the roundabout. It, every time I stepped out the front door, it was like everybody stopped talking. And it felt like it felt like everybody was just staring at me. The birds stopped chirping. The water you know, stopped flowing from the water fountain. And they're all looking at me going, does he know he just walked out the front door? <laughs> Did I think he made a turn, t- uh, taking a wrong turn? <laughs> one of the one of the uh, inmates just escaped, but uh, yeah, eventually I I made it out and I graduated and I was on my way to you know starting this new life. Uh, and between 2012 and 2015, I made the best of it. I uh, uh, I requested the army send me to the EOD school so I could stay on active duty and instruct future EOD students. And I did that for about a year and a half. Uh, I began public speaking and and telling my story. And I also discovered a new life of adventure. It was it was a it, it, maybe it was just you know, a fear of being stuck on the couch and being one of those. Uh, service members having such a difficult time uh, popping pills and considering becoming one of those 22 we lose each day. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I would refuse to. So maybe I overcompensated a bit and I started climbing mountains, whitewater kayaking, running marathons. Uh, and, uh, and I was, I gotten uh, to the point where I'd even qualified for the Boston Marathon. I ran that in 2014. Were you a runner before or you just said, I'm going to start, I'm going to throw myself into this and uh, figure it out? Yeah. And did you have apprehension as to how can somebody that's blind run or climb the mountain or whitewater kayak? How did you uh, find resources for, to help you through that? Well, when I was still in the uh, school, uh, blind school, uh, you know, as soon as I learned how to use my accessible phone and computer. I was Googling blind plus outdoors, blind plus whatever. How do I do this? I was trying to learn how to live a life outside the the VA hospital. And uh, one name kept popping up, Eric Weinmayer. And he was the the first, and I still, I believe still, the uh, only blind person to ever climb Mount Everest. Wow. If a blind man can climb Mount Everest, I can stay off my butt and I can do it. I can be a good father. I can be, I can be fit and active. It's not as big. It's not as scary or it's not as bad as it is scary, but uh, I could do it. And that's when I started seeking, seeking them out. I sought out uh, Eric uh, on the 10th anniversary of his uh, climbing Everest. He actually took a team of wounded veterans up a sister summit, La Boucher uh, of, uh, of Everest. And then he started a program called Soldiers of Summits. And I got myself on to the third iteration of this, this team. And we, uh, uh, all wounded veteran team climbed, uh, nearly 18,000 foot peak in the Peruvian Andes. Wow. So, you know, living in Florida, uh, of course, it's, it's hard to find a decent mountain to train on. <laughs> right. So I started running to stay fit and, 
as a, you know, kind of a uh, effect of just staying fit for the uh, mountains, I started running longer and longer distances and I signed up for four marathons in four months before I'd even run my first. <laughs> and yeah, I, I kind of bite thing, bite big off chunks of life, <laughs> uh, sometimes more than I can chew. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, and that's how uh, I qualified for the Boston Marathon. The same thing with the uh, whitewater kayaking. I'd learned about another blind veteran, a blind veteran, Lonnie Bedwell, who is a very good friend now. He was, um, he's the uh, first blind person to kayak the entire Grand Canyon. And he was also one of my groomsmen at my wedding. I saw these guys out because they were accomplishing amazing things despite the disabilities. And I wanted to learn how. Uh, so uh, I was I was well on my way to, <laughs> I guess, mastery of being blind. Uh, when in 2015, um, tra- tragedy struck again, uh, that those cracks in my skull, I guess, weren't completely patched uh, or reopened. And meningitis, bacterial meningitis crept in. And I was put, I was sent to the hospital again. This time, um, the meningitis nearly, nearly killed me. But between the heavy doses of antibiotics or, or the meningitis itself, it stole what was left of my hearing. And, and actually, uh, it uh, destroyed uh, much of my inner ear balance as well. So, um, knocked to the mat again in 2015. I was completely blind, completely deaf. I couldn't uh, even stay up on my, my own two feet. And I had to figure out all over again how I was going to, how I was going to survive, how I was going to do this. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, and, and I relate to uh, one of the the, the skills uh, taught to me in the army, you know, that those three person EOD teams, they're given huge shipping containers full of tools from bomb suits to robots and power tools and hazmat equipment. Uh, and then you deploy to locations like uh, Iraq and you've got that armored truck. You got to, we fill it to the max, but you can't fit all the tools we're given. So you got to decide what tools you're going to leave behind. And then in Afghanistan, most of the terrain were, were just dirt goat paths and uh, inaccessible to the trucks. So now we're dismounted. We're on foot patrol. And all I've got is what I can carry on my back and my rucksack. So now we're doing the exact same job and expected to do to, to, to defeat every explosive you know, we, we would encounter with just some bare C4 charges, maybe uh, you know, a rope and a grappling hook. Uh, and then it was you know, just enough room for MREs and uh, water and ammunition. So I call it my tools and my kit. You know, I lost a few tools. Uh, I still got to do the same job. Hmm. Now I've lost a few tools but I still got to do the same job. 
it was a it was a rough time uh, after losing coming back from the the hospital and having lost my hearing as well, and those demons tried to try to creep in. I um, was thinking, you know, that the why me's and what ifs. When is this soldier paid his fair share? When have I paid my dues? And uh, of course, my my girlfriend at the time, uh, she wouldn't let me feel sorry for myself. And um, <clears throat> I'm not I'm not really programmed that way either. Mm-hmm. So I did what any person in my situation would have done. Uh, I started a chocolate company with my wife. <laughs> hey, behind every good man, there's a there's a good woman, right? Yeah. Well, it was actually it started off as as a type of therapy. I fell back on what I uh, I knew, and even though I couldn't see, I couldn't hear, and needed to hold on to the countertop just to stay upright. I began cooking. It was uh, Thanksgiving time again. And like I said, it's a very special time for me. Uh, we, we invited friends and family. Uh, it was going to be a huge feast. We made so much food. I was cooking weeks in advance, making all these desserts. And I was taking, I was taking all these, I was making batch after batch of fudge. <laughs> uh, it just, I was experimenting with all these different types of flavors and I was getting creative. I was tossing nuts and spices and uh, I was even mixing it up with some booze. It was great. <laughs> and uh, it, as it turns out, I, I, uh, I was enjoying myself. My, my uh, girlfriend, said she saw something she hadn't seen on me in six months and it was a smile on my face mm-hmm. you gotta gotta imagine totally black totally silent for six months before the, the cochlear implant um uh you know finally uh was tuned in enough and healed up enough to hear another human voice and that's a terribly isolating t- and, and very lonely. So, Michaela uh, was writing every single letter of every single word she needed to communicate with to me in the palm of my hand. Hmm. And that's very tedious, very frustrating. But it was the only way I could communicate with the outside world or the outside world could communicate with me. So um, I began cooking, but I was making so much fudge. I was having a great time at it, but I made more than one family could eat at one sitting ever. (laughs) So Michaela started sneaking it out the front door. And I say sneaking like she's got to be real stealthy around a blind deaf girl. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, and as it turns out, people would start coming back and saying, can I buy more of this? I've got a baby shower. I've got, you know, this or that. And the capitalist in me said, well, of course you may. And that's how EODFudge.com was born, or Extraordinary Delights. And uh, there's a little tip of the cap to my previous occupation, but... uh, it just took off. 
all of a sudden we were making uh, we, were, we were making fudge for you know, you know corporate gifts for like uh, uh, Boeing and uh, other major organiz- you know companies, mm-hmm. and we it, the, the volume it just was was staggering. And uh, eventually we had to move out of the, the home kitchen and find a larger facility, a uh, uh, commercial kitchen. And, and now uh, this, we're nearly four years into it. Wow. Incredible. I like the name too. How you, uh, the, the double meaning. That's good. Was that your idea or Michaela's? That was my idea. It just kind of s- slipped out. You know, we, uh, <laughs> we joke about EOD and what it stands for when we're in the service. Uh, some of the jokes are everyone's drunk. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, expert on demand. Yeah. Um, but uh, it just kind of came to me. Uh, extraordinary delights. And you know, people said it was great. And we, we stuck with it. Of course, we, we, we went with uh, eodfudge.com uh, for the website. But we later expanded uh, our selections beyond beyond fudge, so our you know, our, our social media handles at EOD Confections. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that came later. Incredible. So, what your son then, when a lot of this was going on, was what four or five years old when you lost your hearing? Is that is that timing about right? Like, how was he dealing with that when now that he's you know, talking and, and watching his dad go through that. What was that like for him and for you? How did you kind of talk to him about it? Well, um, I, uh, he, uh, his mother and I divorced in 2014. Uh, um, this was after the injury and, uh, we just, it just had to, had to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went uh, to his mom, and so we had visitation. You know, he was still a young toddler, uh, but he he's now now living living with us. Uh, he has been for a couple of years now, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, he 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 does great. He's eight, almost nine now. Uh, an incredible kid. He makes he makes being a dad easy. Mm-hmm. Um, just really, uh, he's an amazing athlete. He studies hard. Um, he's helpful. He's amazing with uh, his his you know twin brothers. And when it comes to uh, the the disabilities, you know, he's also. I don't know. It's, it's really all he's known because it happened when he was one. He doesn't, he doesn't know his dad uh, any other way. Mm-hmm. So it's just natural for him. It was a little weird when we, we just you know, custody changed and I'd take him, we, we'd go to the, the, the beach or the pool and every other kids. And he would just kind of blurt out, my dad doesn't have any eyes. <laughs> Uh, but there you go. just get ahead of it, right? I think he was just trying to get you know get to understand it a little bit, and thought it might be interesting to the other kids. Mm-hmm. But, but nowadays, it's just it's, it's not a big deal. It's just life and mm-hmm. the hell household. So the uh, so yeah, that was one thing I guess a lot of people don't know. The cochlear implant 
So you said for six months you were essentially completely deaf and now you can hear almost everything, it seems? Uh, it's, it's difficult uh, to describe. It's, it's very um, uh, digital. You know, it's, a, it's a digital signal. Uh, my ears are completely turned off. And uh, the, the cochlear device, like a hearing aid, has microphones, but it sends a, through a tether uh, that's mag magnetized to the implant on the ins inside, uh, sends a digital signal right into the cochlea and the auditory nerve. It just sends an electric signal. So um, the sound is much like, uh, say you're at home and it's very quiet. And for me, very dark. And you call up a friend on your phone and they're at a restaurant and they just put the phone on speaker in the middle of the table. That's how life is. Hmm. It's, it's a wall of sound. So you can't, sometimes people are, that are closer sound a little bit louder, but you're picking up all that interference from everything around you and every extra noise, any bit of volume interferes what's happening, you know, uh, what you're trying to put your attention on. Mm -hmm. So, and of course, call quality uh, uh, counts too. Mm -hmm. It's just um, the, everything from just a, a light breeze to uh, traffic will, will, will ruin a conversation. Mm -hmm. But I gotta tell you, the technology is amazing. Uh, my, my phone and my computer are Bluetooth connected right to my brain, which is hilarious because <laughs> I, can, I can read my mail and listen to an audio book on my, my phone uh, right from my pocket and nobody's the wiser. <laughs> uh, uh, and it, it beats the hell out of the alternative. Maybe 20 years ago, I would have been pulling the full Helen Keller right now. <laughs> wow, yeah. So what would you say? I mean, your spirit and your enthusiasm and your resilience is incredible. And I guess you did say the military kind of sharpened that. But what, what kind of advice would you give, you know, the wounded veterans? And you even mentioned the, uh, the, the number, the 22, and that's, that's how many, what, servicemen taking their lives every day. Is that, is that correct? No, um, the number one thing is that you don't. The, the one, the, the the reason I can be resilient and that others are is that we've learned that the struggle isn't the problem. The struggle is uh, how we become stronger. We lift weights to to grow muscle, and we run to grow. You know, to, to build a circulatory system and 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 respiratory and, and just get faster but it takes miles, it takes weight, and our hardships uh, make our head, our mind, and our heart stronger. Uh, despite our injuries, or despite what we, we lies ahead of us, um, you know, the, the, the pain thrives in darkness. If we bring it out into the sunlight and we face it, uh, those scars can heal. Uh, so I just face everything head on. 
and I guess what, putting yourself in these kind of these races and things like that, they must really just inspire you and give you a goal that you need to achieve. Cause I can imagine, you know, just the depression and the isolation can really, the inertia of it can really, you know, keep somebody down. And it seems like you, you recognize that and you said, I got to get out there or else this thing's going to get me. No, um, it also takes a healthy dose of humility. Uh, you know, our ego wants us to think only about ourselves. And then we start thinking about how terrible our situation is. Um, and, and everybody's gone through this, it, it, especially, you know, uh, or, you know, the, the you know, wounded veterans that you, know, you feel like nobody can understand what we're going, they're, they're going through, uh, how bad the level of our pain is or our suffering. And it's not true. And nobody knows you, but everybody's known pain. And everybody has something that they can teach us. So we got to learn to, even through our own pain, empathize with others. And it, through empathizing uh, and sharing others' pain, ours is diminished. Let's take a quick break for our dad tip of the week brought to you by Kickstart Reading. Do you have kids between the ages of three and six? I've got two boys, and when my older son was going into kindergarten, my wife and I quickly learned that we had no idea how to teach him how to read. We found Kickstart Reading and watched one two-minute video together, and you could see his confidence take off. Bonus, I felt like dad of the year. Here's another dad talking about how Kickstart Reading is helping his boys learn how to read. Hey there, this is Chris Heller, and I'm a big fan of Kickstart Reading. Each morning before school, I show a video to my four-and-a-half-year-old son, and now his little two-year-old brother is getting in on the action as well. I'm a big fan of the videos. Highly consumable and engaging for young boys. Definite recommend for all parents out there who are looking to get their kids off to the right start with reading. Kickstart Reading. Go to kickstartreading.com and use the code DAD to get 65% off right now. That's D-A-D, DAD. See? It works. Kickstartreading.com. Now back to the show. On the Dad the Best I Can show, we'd, we'd like to do a, a dad tip for other dads out there. So you've got three kids now. Uh, do you have a tip you can give other dads? Um. Yeah, you know, basically, basic tip for for dads is that, uh, and I think maybe touches back on that humility thing. And it's not about you. Yeah, you know, you're not the most important thing in that household. Uh, you're just the helper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're helping uh, the kids grow into being you know, good people. Uh, you get, it's your job not to raise assholes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Plus, you need to, I mean, if you've got a partner, uh, uh, you're doing it together, and you're their support team. Um, it's not about, you know, the slack you're picking up, but what you can take off of uh, your wife's shoulders. Uh, everywhere I can, I try to do my best. And it's, you know, being, being you know, blind and deaf, it always feels like I'm the... Uh, the burden. Um, the, it's it's uh, like I'm creating more work sometimes, but 
there's so much I can do around the house. Uh, uh, you know, there's so much I can do for the children. Um, I have a lot to teach and to give. And everywhere I am, it's not about um, not about you know what it's for me. You know, it's about what I can do for the rest of the family. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's true. I mean, and it takes kind of having kids to check your ego and realize that it's almost a gift. I've heard somebody say, you know, it's almost one of the best part about being a parent is not making yourself the most important person in your own life. And, you know, it takes having kids and going through the, you know, the challenges of that to get there. You know, um, one other thing I've brought into my parenting that I learned in the military is that uh, exercise is a great disciplinary tool. <laughs> my, uh, whenever, and I told you my son Cameron, uh, he, he makes it easy, but every kid slips up. And instead of you know being grounded or using some kind of corporal punishment, we work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and simple things like push-ups and wall sits, or just holding, uh, holding a couple books out, uh, straight arm style. Uh, uh, it's a struggle for him, and it really burns you know the message into his head. And he's a really fit kid. <laughs> Getting in trouble can pay off. You can get a uh, get in good shape. Yeah. I like that idea. That's right. It benefits him. And it's, it's, it's a not, you know, it doesn't, does it, it's, it's not one of those um, disciplines that makes you feel guilty afterwards either. Are, are you going out there and doing the uh, exercise and the punishment with them or is it for him to oh, go do himself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when, uh, anytime I have to, you know, explain something or, you know, cringe uh, lecture him, we'll sit, We'll do a wall sit, and I'll time I'll I'll time it. But while we're while we're sitting at the wall, both of us, and yeah, my legs will be burning too. I'll just talk talk to him about why he's in trouble. You know, I'll, you know. Of course, I gotta I can't see him, so I'll just check to make sure you know his, <laughs> his knees in the right position and whatnot, and he's still there. Yeah, uh, he could be j- just standing, just standing beside me while I do a wall sit and huffing and puffing. Oh yeah, this is terrible. <laughs> that means it's working, right? He'll he'll behave yeah. better and he's getting in good shape. I like that. I'm gonna start using that on on my boys today after school. <laughs> what uh, do you have any other advice for you know either parents with disabilities or parents with kids who have disabilities? I'm sure there are a lot of people that you know, as you find when you're a parent, nobody gives you. Manual and tells you, and I can imagine when, especially with kids with disabilities, it's a whole new challenge that you're not really sure. You don't want your kids to be bullied, and you don't want you know kids making fun of you. I'm sure, I don't know how your how your eight year old handles it. I like how you said he just uh, my dad has no eyes. Just get get in front of it and uh, make light of it. But any advice for parents and and kids out there? Uh, don't do it alone. Uh, it's hard enough. Uh, to being a parent, if uh, somebody in the family also has dis- uh, uh, disabilities, uh, you know, you're not the first one. Uh, you don't have to break new trail. Uh, there are organizations out there. There are people out there, uh, blogs, videos, uh, you know, websites that you know, somebody has come across this situation before. 
and seek out like uh, like I was learning how to become a blind person. I sought out mentors. I sought out peers. Uh, they're out there, and having a good support system makes it a lot easier and a lot less frustrating. Okay, Aaron, on the Dad the Best I Can show, we like to do rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Ready. What is your favorite food to cook? We, I, anything that comes out of the smoker uh, or anything wrapped in a tortilla. So my, uh, my favorite would be uh, smoked barbacoa tacos. Delicious. What is, I know you make desserts for a living. What do you, what do you think is the best dessert you make? Uh, well, one of my favorites is our, our flagship fudge. It's uh, American pick me up. It's literally trans. It's, it's a, you know, American, all American version of tiramisu. So, and tiramisu literally is pick me up in Italian and it's got uh, chocolate coffee uh, nuts and, and a little alcohol in it, but uh, American pick me up. It's all American version. So it's uh, instead of espresso and frangelico, it's uh, all American pecans, Georgia pecans uh, and bourbon. Delicious. What is your favorite movie of all time? Oh, man, I should say something like Casablanca, but it's probably <laughs> uh, Stripes or uh, uh, or uh, the Blues Brothers, probably. Oh, yeah. Stripes is, Stripes is great. Is that what inspired you to get into the military? <laughs> I imagine that's uh, just what it's like, Bill Murray. Uh, you know, no, I mean, I... Uh, I think uh, one of one of the, my favorite military movies would be Platoon. What is your favorite concert you've ever seen? Mm, I used to work uh, through high school and college. I used to work at a, uh, a Blossom Music Center in Ohio, uh, big concert venue. Yeah, there was a lot of good ones. I think um, probably the White Zombie Pantera. They just blew the roof off the place. That's awesome. I just got my kids into Rob Zombie. They're very excited. They they don't know what they don't know what it is, but they're into it. Hmm. What is the athletic achievement you are most proud of? Oh man. Um well, right after the meningitis, maybe one year after the meningitis, and I regained my my you know, a little bit of my hearing and a little bit of my balance. I worked my tail off and my comeback marathon, you know, just the two years or a year prior, I was running, I ran Boston and then, you know, hospital uh, came back and I worked my way back to uh, running my hometown marathon. Um, actually the same week as my 20th uh, high school reunion. And I, PR'd, uh, got a sub four hour race and qualified for Boston all over again. So, oh, wow. Did, so you ran Boston? I've run it twice. Wow. What's that like? That looks like a incredible rush. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, the scenery never changes, but, uh, <laughs> uh, it's fun to know you're there. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, one other thing I saw in your, you write, you write a blog for EO Fudge and I saw your make the bed every day. I've heard this tip before and I'm trying to get my kids to do it. It's a, uh, 
military thing, right? Can you explain the make your bed every day and the importance of it? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that was, uh, Admiral McRaven, uh, said that he was a Navy SEAL. Uh, and he said the one thing, you know, he's, he, he listed a few things he learned, uh, from being a SEAL that he made him, helped him, uh, become successful in life. And one of them was make your bed every day. And what he said was, uh, uh, you know, life can be hard, uh, can be tough and you can face failure after failure, but you can always, if you make your bed every day, at least you'll come home, uh, each night to a made bed. And at least you start off each morning with one success, one, one, uh, completion. I like that. I'm going to have to keep convincing my kids to do it, but now there'll be a uh, wall sits and runs around the block if they can't make their beds. Well, I try to live by my own standards, but uh, it's hard to make, uh, you know, um, you know, your bed when your wife's still in it. <laughs> well, it sounds like, uh, Michaela, is that her name? Yes. It sounds like she's, she's amazing. And I'm sure she's got her hands full with, uh, all you boys, boys in the house, four month old twins. I can't imagine, uh, the challenges that come with that, but it sounds like you have a great support system and I thank you so much for sharing your story, Aaron. It was, it was super inspiring. I'll link to the video where you tell it, and that's an incredible video. And where can people learn more about what you're doing at EOD Fudge? Well, like I said, it's uh, eodfudge.com. And uh, there's, uh, the, like you said, the video, there's a, a short bio about us. And of course, you can sample the, the fudge and other treats there. Plus, you can follow us and keep up to date with uh, some of my misadventures at, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at EOD Confections. That's great stuff. I mean, this is like the kind of story I see on Shark Tank. I don't know if you guys are uh, applying for it, but the story is excellent. And really, that's why, you know, when people are buying a product, a lot of it is the story and the people behind it. So... I know where I'm getting my fudge for the uh, the holidays this year. Aaron, thank you for being on the Dad the Best I Can show, and uh, I hope to talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thank you guys for listening to the Dad the Best I Can show. Go take five seconds, hop on over to dadthebestican.com and sign up with your email to get weekly updates, dad tips in your mailbox, get your questions answered on the show. That's dadthebestican.com. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Actually, five stars. We could do better than that. Brooks? Infinity. Infinity stars. Cameron, how many stars? Infinity thousand. Infinity thousand. You got to one-up them in this household. Thanks. See you.